and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a fresh-faced first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this is the story, story So, so Farscape. Farscape. In which an American astronaut uh, flying in an experimental craft gets caught up in an unexplained phenomenon, transported to a different <laughs> setting and picked up by a large, strange ship. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is the exact synopsis of what we're talking about today because we are a Farscape fan cast and today we are talking about Buck Rogers. In the 25th century. That's right. So to catch anyone up who dropped in on this episode and has no idea what's happening, one of the defining experiences of being a Farscape fan in the original era, as I was, Kay, was that occasionally you just have to... Wait. Wait. There were all these unexplained hiatai. I suppose it was for catching up with broadcasting dates in other countries or something like that? Sometimes. It's it's really weird. It's almost Kremlinology to, to figure it out <laughs> sometimes. Like sometimes there would only be a few weeks between the cliffhanger of one season and the right. start of the next, and then there'd be like four months after episode six. Sometimes those the, the episode seven would air first in the UK. It was it was just bizarre. Were you watching it on a Dutch TV or on the uh, BBC? BBC. Yeah, okay, it was so on the on the good old B. I suppose the BBC also had broadcasting seasons where yes. they yeah. just know, okay, we're now starting our autumn season and we run out a few episodes before that starts and we're only going to start when the schools come back in and we're going to start with the new series or something along right. those lines. Right, because Farscape was an Australian production and they serviced both the European and the American Market. markets, yeah. so they all had their own... Look, the result is, every now and again, there'd be a gap, and we're doing the greatest hiatus, yes. where we're going to take a little break from Farscape so we can have that experience. In the meantime, we thought it would be fun to do something, uh, like, you'd mentioned the parallels with Buck Rogers before. Oh, I did, yes, especially in the first episode. Exactly. And oh, this this intro that you've read is just, supl- okay, can you please read it again? Ah, okay. The story so Farscape, yes. in which an American astronaut in an experimental craft gets caught up in an unexplained phenomenon transported to a different (laughs) setting where he gets picked up by a large, strange ship. (laughs) I'm still cackling. That's so good. And another thing that's that's making this kind of remarkable is the tables have turned on us a little bit. Ah, yes, because this time I have seen this movie before and you've been watching it for the first time. Yeah. Now, I thought that I knew Buck Rogers. I thought that I had some kind of cultural osmotic memory of having seen it at one point. Like, I know the imagery of uh, uh, Tweaky and all the Mm -hmm. sort of silver spandex suits, but we just watched this and... It is a masterpiece. It is. It's a very good movie. It's absolutely incredible. It's very 70s. I'll give it that. Oh, yeah. Both in its pacing and in its, well, set design and a little bit of casual sexism here and there. Oh, yeah, just a little (laughs) bit of casual sexism here and there. Wait, hold on. You call it a movie, though? Yes. So it's it was originally released as a movie, but it was intended to be a pilot for the series. Ah, right. So they yeah. were because everybody after the success of Star Wars, yes. everybody was jumping on the space exploration, space science fiction uh, movie scenes. And yeah, all, yeah, all yeah. the networks and everybody wanted to get their own show out of it. Battlestar Galactica was the first one, and Buck Rogers came shortly after that. Okay, so that's actually remarkable because they're both Glenn A. Larson productions. Correct, yeah, same producer. Yeah. They were done in sequence. BSG was still airing when they were starting to film this. Ah, right. So he was he was sort of hedging his bets because Glenn A. Larson has done a lot of television like Knight Rider. Yep. Also famous for the uh, the sort of left and right scanning uh, red light on the front of the car, much like the Cylons. Yep, very much so. And he did uh, BSG, as you correctly mentioned. Yes. Also Magnum P.I., Oh, wow. Also him, and a very short-lived series called The Highwayman, which I also really loved as a kid. 
Oh, it was, was it like it, the weird sort of drifter with slightly supernatural? It was. Uh, it had slightly supernatural yeah, uh, right? powers, but he also had a, a big rig truck which uh, had a helicopter hidden in the top of it, <laughs> and he had this seriously <laughs> cool gun which could switch back and forth between shotgun shells and regular and uh, sword. Oh, no, no sword. No, oh. no. It, it, it wasn't, I got really it wasn't excited. Key, it wasn't Dargo's <laughs> Keyblade. <laughs> uh, shall we get into it? Yeah. Why don't we? We have the opening shot, which is footage from Apollo 4 and 6, where they just used the standard big rocket uh, getting launched up uh, into uh, yeah. space. And we see Captain Rogers, Captain Buck Rogers, in his craft. William Rogers William, to his William friends. Rogers, yeah. uh, in his uh, craft, the, the Ranger, Ranger 3. Yes, now, was yeah? interstellar. Okay, so the original yeah. Ranger 3 was a lunar probe which missed the moon and just went off into outer space. Oh, so it already had a pedigree. Okay. It had, yes. It already had one. And I, I guess that's like a bit of a nod to it because he also gets slung out on a trajectory <laughs> which is f- far much further than it was originally intended. For a second, I was excited because I thought that the Christopher Nolan film Interstellar referenced uh, Buck yes. Rogers, but apparently no, it referenced no. this other. Oh, I disappointing. Guess so, yes. I noticed, starting at the very first frame, a Glenn A. Larson production. It's the same font as Battlestar Galactica. It it's, got the, it's got the two lines over it as well. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of mission launch sequence, they get going nice and quick. There's this cool montage. It's split screen, lots of imagery at the same time. You've got radio countdown describing that something goes wrong, an unexplained phenomenon. Mm, yes. Forces beyond all comprehensions and temperatures beyond imagination. It's like, <laughs> yes. no, I'm pretty sure it's just frozen and like absolute zero was already known at this point in time. So, but you know, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Like ludicrous speed or unmeasurable uh, speeds. Previously unrecorded speeds. Which also expands his orbit to 1,000 times longer than it was yes. greater. What so was his, it? his five, yeah, a 1,000 times longer than originally intended. Yes. His five-month mission becomes 500 oh, years. more vast. Vast, yes. Ooh, that was it. One. Yeah. <laughs> In the wink of an eye, his life support systems were frozen by temperatures beyond imagination. Ranger 3 was blown out of its planned trajectory into an orbit a 1,000 times more vast. Uh, yeah, so instead of uh, being on a mission for five months, he gets sent out in 500 years, completely frozen by a rare combination of gases. Oxygen, cryogen, ozone, methylon, almost a perfect balance. We see a shot of Buck completely frozen like a Buxicle. Yep. Uh, is <laughs> wow. <laughs> Expect a lot of that. I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this title. And then we delve into, oh yes, and then he spends the next 500 years in a realm where reality and fantasy... Although what, what he's supposedly it? frozen. Yes, I'm not sure uh, what the words were, but it, he also, it also mirrors in the theme tune. Like For 500 years, Buck Rogers drifted through a world in which reality and fantasy merged into a timeless dream. The theme song, oh, it's so great. Of course, this is in the era when movies still had opening credits, which is what you have here. And it's a very James Bond-esque Yes, that's what I've got written down. Like scene. 007, lots of cheesecake. Yep. So it's this great scene where the word Buck Rogers is printed in bright disco lights on a floor. Well, and and the, people are writhing around it. He's sleeping for most of the time. While all he's the, sleeping completely through The it. handsome uh, uh, co-stars are scantily dressed with Elton John-type goggles wearing... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got Cyber Velma. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
So is it the uh, the female co-stars that are appearing so, here? Because yes. uh, at this point, I didn't know who any of them were. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure Erin Gray said about shooting this scene that it was extremely uncomfortable up to the point that they had to be careful not to get burned because the lights were so hot. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, dear. It does look sensational. Like the bottom lighting, the Vaseline over the lens, these... Uh, yeah, and they, like, they had to sit there and look seductively at the camera while their ass was being burnt off oh, by no. the hot lights underneath. Well, at least they had plastified silver spandex to protect them, offering no protection (laughs) at all. Wow, but the hair looked great. It is the 70s. So, yeah, uh, what I love most is indeed that Buck sleeps through it all. Almost all of it, only waking up until to roll over on top of one of them and (laughs) start with some seductive kissing in the neck. Yeah, this is such a long intro. We've just described it. Buck Rogers, they're printed in light, several voluptuous women, and Buck sleeping through it all, and then a theme song. And the theme song is 29 minutes long, I counted. <laughs> I go, and every time you think, okay, we must be there. Nope, there's another verse. Oh, it's the same as the first. But then when we get out of it, oh my God, this show fucking moves. We, yeah, there's a big opening shot, which I'd say is like a little bit stolen from Star Wars, where you have this big alien spaceship and the, the camera just pans along it. And it, it's just comes, like, it, like, it comes overhead. It's amazing. It's, it's, this design is fantastic. It's got these prongs on the foreground. I've got this overhanging bridge. It sort of reminded me of like a Ferengi marauder, but then a bit like writ that, large, yeah. more, more brutalist. It's got this cool sort of rust texture. Yeah, it's, it's much more angular than the Ferengi ships. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just... Just in love. I was just smitten immediately. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So they launch a few fighters because they see this strange uh, craft appearing on their radar. Yeah. Enemy ship approaching. They fire a few pot shots at it. But when the ship is recognized by one of the pilots as nothing he's ever seen before. Yeah. There's something about the ship. I've not seen anything like it. They decide to uh, lock it up in the docking web and bring... No, wait, wrong show. <laughs> no, they sort of... Deploy the docking web. What's that? Graviton field, a tractor ray, super glue, whatever it is you yank me aboard with. They sort of pin it in the sort of Triforce, this green in the laser grid that they have, yes. And force field it, yeah, into this giant craft, the Draconia. Yes, the flagship of the Draconian Empire. Yeah, where they really need to invest in some more, like, uplighting, I think. It's oh, super dark in it there. It is a bit. It gets better later in the movie. The first uh, scene is a little bit a little I bit mean, dark, yes. It starts off with, hey, which tone do we want to give this podcast? Do we want to go with certain swingers clubs? Or uh, a Laser Quest arena. I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards Laser Quest arena in this regard. <laughs> That'll be a first. <laughs> we see Buck undergoing a reconstructive or revivification. Yes. He's got a sort of plastic face mask over him. Very- and there's some pseudo-scientific terms being slung about when it's uh, regarding uh, his brain function and how they're slowly waking him up. There's a lot of cool techno babble, all yeah. directed at uh, uh, this sleazy-looking man in black hovering over him called Kane. Yes, he is uh, Commander Kane, played by Henry Silva. Do we know him from anything? He was in The Manchurian Candidate and in the original Ocean's Eleven. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. uh, I guess I'm not uh, up to date. He yeah. Was, yeah, he was like he, he co-starred against Frank Sinatra quite a few times in both of those movies. Actually. Oh, wow. He must have been quite a get then. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, later on in the series that uh, came after this, there was lots yeah. of uh, cameos and other stuff by renowned actors who just had a little part in there, uh, like Villain of the Week or Local Emperor or yeah, Warlord yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, they had a lot of big actors coming in. I mean, I guess science fiction was on the peak at that moment. And, like, uh, it was so the Star new Wars. hotness. Yeah, yeah. it was. So 
So I guess everybody was eager to get in on that for a little bit. Paramount had recently tried getting an old TV network off the ground with Star Trek Phase 2. Yes. That wound up getting canned and then they made the motion picture. And so they looked at, okay... We have two models for extremely successful science fiction pictures in the last few years. This was like 76, 77, 78. Mm -hmm. Um, We have Star Wars and we have Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, which one do we think really has legs that people are going to line up for? And they went for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We want it slow and ponderous. Mm. Versus Glenn A. Larson apparently went for the... To call it like fast and exciting is underplaying just how much uh, storytelling tempo has advanced in the decades since. Absolutely. So they, uh, uh, with BSG, they went for much more of a epic story, which has a continuing developing plot arc, even in the original, yeah, yeah. they'd had that. Whereas Buck Rogers had a slightly lighter uh, atmosphere, it had a little bit more comedic uh, value, and it was more episodal. Yeah, so it's more accessible. Yes. I mean, honestly, kind of like Farscape so far. Yes, right. Say, There's been a lot so. of yeah, standalone yeah. stuff. It's very accessible. You can miss a few episodes and come back in, and you'll and get where not, the characters are now. Yeah, more or less. Uh, the details of the relationship might have changed in the meantime. Uh, like yeah, you but catch yeah, up. It figures. So, yes, uh, Commander Kane goes uh, to see the Princess Ardala. Yes, Cleopatra, but- she's being tended to by her handmaidens in, I just want to live in this set. You've got this cool sort of... I don't know, vase with a candle in it. There's beads everywhere. Can She's I got a bed in the back. Oh my God. Look in the lower left corner. What is Look that? in the lower left corner. Oh. What are those? How are we going to describe um, those two golden like, things on a PG 13 podcast before you continue? They're kind of like 30 oh, St. Mary's Axe. I don't know what that is. Said the Gherkin in London. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like uh, two salt shakers shaped like Corners, First World War bombs. Smooth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good way to nice put and, it. Nice well. and smooth. Got yeah. a firm base for, for gripping. Quite a, quite a girth to them. <laughs> <sighs> Actually, already through the glass vase, that uh, you can see a glimpse of a village person standing in the background. Oh. That's going to be a, a tiger man. Oh, yes. He's the big bodyguard of the princess. I'm just obsessed with this space. The, the walls are covered in greebles. Like it's a, you can tell that it's an interior spacecraft. You've got these uh, a vertical sort of neon beams. I love those. Those, yeah. those are so cool. Those are just the blue lines just lancing down from the ceiling to the floor or the other way around. I don't know. Don't hold your Geiger counter too close and don't film <laughs> for more than three hours. So she gets told about uh, the, the presence of this Buck Rogers. And even without seeing him, she already has the hots for him, it seems. <laughs> yeah. It took a little bit. I mean, she starts off, as all women in in Buck Rogers, apparently, tsundere, she starts off hot and, and or sort of cold, yes. and gradually goes hot, like, why is this Why is this worth my time? And he explains to her all the technobabble, oh, no, 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 he's been well-preserved. Preserved young or preserved old? Very young. I've never met a 500-year-old man before. And she insists on seeing him personally, even though uh, Kane uh, is against it, so to speak. He's uh, he's not going to be very uh, very coherent. Uh, I'll make allowances. Yes. So they go and visit him, and he is a little bit out of it. Prepare him for an audience. And then she goes to see him. That's not very princessly behaviour. No, but he is, like, in sickbay, so that makes sense. Allowances can be made, I would say. She did dress up for the occasion. She's got this True. fantastic, like, uh, uh, head cover with lots of beads. There's some confusing dialogue as uh, uh, Buck comes to, blinks up and sees the mustachioed, bare-chested village person. The Tiger Man. Not the Tiger Man, just Tiger Man. That's oh, his no, name. you're right. Thank you. He reminded me of a character that absolutely no one's going to recognize, Fergus from Roar, the very, very short-lived uh, a Hercules television series spin-off with Heath Ledger. Oh. Way back in the day. It's such a deep cut. 
that was exploring uh, 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 Irish myth during the age of the Roman invasion. Oh, that sounds like it could be fun with druids and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh it, it was good. Yeah. 13 episodes. Maybe we'll have a spin-off podcast about that. We've <laughs> got to keep ourselves under control for now. So, yeah, he comes to, he thinks it's all a dream and that it's, uh, that it's amazing. He asks for some aspirin. Yes, and they give him the good space drugs. And he, <laughs> okay, now administers the drug to him and he goes, What is it? Oh, Oh, I think we gave him a little bit too much medicine. No, I'm feeling fine. And he starts laughing and giggling. and Yeah, because he's amazed at, uh, at where he is. They explain to him that they're from the Draconian Empire on their way to Earth. And there's like, we're not on Earth? We're on the way to... He pieces it all together. More and or less. Having amused herself, Princess Ardala is, is... Okay, we have a mission to complete, and then Kane goes... Then I'm to assume that I may dispose of Captain Rogers as I see fit. How you handle security is your prerogative. But Kane has a plan. Yes. He uh, gets uh, Buck Rogers put back in his ship. Uh, yeah, through... By the way, did you see the access hatch? Yes. There's only one access hatch for this gigantic single-person craft, and, and it, it's a sort of escape chute yeah, I mean, in the, the bottom. You've if, got a, if you've seen various bombers over the time, then it's not that odd. It, it, it looks pretty much like you'd had how you'd climb into a Vulcan or uh, one of the B-37s or something. Okay. They, had, like, they had surprisingly small hatches. I guess it makes it easier if you have a pressurized hatch that it's not too big. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. Oh, look at me saying that makes sense. I've, I've sort of taken over your uh, your role. By the way, this set is huge. Like, they built a huge... Uh, I mean, it's not a space shuttle huge, but... No, they've got a hangar for... Oh, you mean the ship? Yeah. yeah, they've got an actual hangar. There's a yeah. there's a model of the, uh, they get a of the ship. They get a lot of use out of that hangar in the rest of the movie, though. They so sure it's like definitely worth it. But he's still giggling and laughing and... Uh, well, they're not going to believe this getting, back at yeah, uh, Houston. Getting all the controls back in place as he gets a send-off from Kane. Ardala is confused why Kane let Buck leave, but he put a microtransmitter on his craft. Right, because they, uh, they are in a dispute over whether or not Buck is a spy from the Earth, or if he is yes, actually the innocent the way he is. Federal Directorate or something? Something like yeah. that, yeah, Federal Directorate of Earth. The Federal Directorate of Earth. Kane thinks that he's a spy, and I think the princess believes that he's not. But Kane goes, it's simple, like, we'll just send him to Earth, and if they shoot him out of the air, then he was for real, and if they let yep. him in, then he's a spy. And then we can also get uh, a telemetry on the secret access corridor that yes. they'll guide him through, that through we can the, then use yeah, to, to invade Earth. Get this, uh, your father's ships uh, to Earth and conquer Earth. Because they are supposedly there on a trade mission. But in, in reality, they want to invade and conquer Earth. Which is the home planet of Cain? Well, you're from Earth, Cain. You should know better than I. And he so, apparently defects it to the Draconian Empire or something like that. The Draconian Empire, which apparently controls uh, 75%. Three-fourths of the, yeah. yeah the known the, universe. So she's not human, Ardala. Well, I mean... Uh, she's Draconian. They might have originally come from Earth... So 500 years does not seem like a lot of time to populate three-fourths of the universe. Uh, maybe the universe is not that big. <laughs> you know, you're right. What a stupid question. We have no <laughs> idea how big the universe is. But no, but, uh, like, do we assume that she's human, that the Draconians are human? I mean, because the, the Tiger Man, ti uh, sorry, Tiger Man, yeah. Yeah. doesn't, like, I think he's coded as alien. Is he? I don't think he just coded as a big brute. But I always thought they were just like wow. humans who'd like this diaspora from Earth and then f found sort their of own like empire. Yeah. And then now they're coming back to conquer Earth. Because yeah. Earth is dependent on uh, trade with other planets because it's a basically a wasteland after the nuclear the Holocaust. War. The Holocaust, yeah. Yeah, which is also why the Earth is so well defended. As we see when uh, Buck is uh, uh, singing. Chicago, Chicago, you're my kind of town. 
Chicago. Which is picked up by a listening station. There's some cool, like, chatter. Sir, super. Super on. What station is this? Uh, Delta Sector, sir. And the supervisor who's like, what you're talking about. I'm picking up some voices or something. I'm sure you're picking up uh, private or marauder chatter. Nothing to be alarmed about. I'll probably uh, echo some last night's attack on our freighters. We see a diagram of Earth and its defense shield and the craft approaching it in this really cool shot yeah. with like multiple walkways as if there's a huge control room with a giant screen. It's so, so cool. They shrink the shield a little bit to uh, make sure that he doesn't bump into it. Right, retard the shield 100 miles until we verify the craft. So he doesn't bump into it. There's a little bit of like back and forth between the size of the ship and the speed that it approaches. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Can I just do with, some? I have yeah. some scientific concerns. Go Can I have the scientific yeah, concerns yes. now? Like I'm looking at this diagram here where we see the curvature of the Earth. I'm assuming that the green part is the Earth and the red part is the uh, is the shield. The Earth has a circumference of forty thousand kilometers, yeah. which is a diameter of what eleven thousand miles. Ish. So 11,000 versus 100, like yeah, these, the these shells. Just, like, just a tiny Yeah, bit. you wouldn't be able to, to no. see this. So what is this altitude? Uh, no, look at this curvature. No, you I know it's it. space stuff. Oh, so does the, does the ISS orbit oh, there? No, or is that? Yeah, ISS is way below that. Right. Even, so, even, the, even the shrunken shield, the ISS would be way down below yeah, that. Yeah, right. So but this that's is, something most people don't realize. Orbit is not very high up. No, you're skimming the atmosphere. Low Earth orbit is anything up to 600 kilometers, and this, I would say, is at least 1,000. Uh, yeah, or more. This was a point that I had as well. It's like, yeah, I guess they they wanted to look cool rather than be scientifically accurate. And look cool, it does. It totally does. Ships are launched to intercept Captain Buck Rogers, Captain Wilma Deering, and her flight crew, flight pod crew, whatever you want to call them. Yes, with their eggshell helmets. Oh, she's got gold eagle wings on her on her collar. Yeah, they all do. It's just their, one of their flight symbols, I suppose. Might just no, but you song. told me about gold wings recently, yeah. about astronauts, oh, astronauts earning their gold. Yeah, I suppose so, yes. Yeah. No visor, no chin strap, nope. no no coverage. Nothing. So I guess John Crichton's football helmet out into space is not so <laughs> maybe outlandish. They, no, it's uh, or maybe they really trust the integrity of their ships here. Buck certainly does. He didn't have any. I know he didn't have an, even have a regular helmet. He just has a lot of controls and dials behind him. A lot yeah. of dials that he can't see. It's the panel for the flight engineer, except uh, there isn't no, one. No, 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 exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. a one-man craft. I know, I know. Yeah. Exactly. He is ordered to comply, and he thinks this is great. This is such a still such an amazing dream. Please be quiet. If you deviate from my orders by so much as a thousand yards, you will be burned into vapors. Do you understand? Vapors? Yeah, yeah, I understand. What do I do? Do you have manual override capabilities? Sure. Then follow me very closely. They fly down over an unrecognizable Earth with there's monorails, there's blasted out wasteland. That Mostly like blasted out wasteland, which Nevada. you see at the beginning. Um, although they apparently are approaching New Chicago. So let me ask you a thing first. What do you think about the fighters, the, the spaceships from the Earth Federation? Ah, yeah, I had a note about that. They yeah. reminded me of the snow speeders from The Empire Strikes Back. That's an, a very interesting point. I right, they've got, the, they've got the low profile, slightly downswept wing. You've got the, you've got the snub nose. Right, yeah. No, very much. Okay, so the original design for these was by Ralph McQuarrie. <gasps> uh, yes, famous the production designer for Star Wars, some of the, the Star Treks yeah. as well. But inter- interestingly enough, these were turned down as the design for the colonial fighters in BSG. They recycled the design and used it for Buck Rogers. Huh. I can get it because the colonial fighters in their vipers are yeah. better. They've got this cool, like three wing uh, three uh, silhouette construction. They're sleeker. They're they much more cool iconic. Design. I would think so. Yeah, 
These, I mean, these are very unusual ships as well. I, I personally, I like them a lot. I'd say if I had to choose between this and a Viper, yeah, definitely a Viper. But still, they're they're very pretty. They certainly are. Ships. They're uh, certainly prettier than the Draconian bombers. Oh, they're not exactly Draconian bombers, though, as well, we... Uh, at this point, ostensibly, they're pirate ships. Yeah, I don't know if we learned it on the way, but the Treaty of Moya still holds, <laughs> even in 1970-whatever, <laughs> that the order doesn't really matter. Earth is reliant on uh, on other planets for their agricultural needs, and they're often beset by pirates, who are the mortal enemies of the Draconians. So yes. They're worried that there's pirate activity that might uh, threaten the Draconian peace envoy as well. And therefore they think that, as we learn later, that the Draconians have been mimicking those attacks. It's, it's basically Draconian ships, which yes. are masking as pirates and thereby putting the squeeze on Earth, trying to get them to sign this treaty, which is, again, a ruse just to attack Earth. I know. There's a lot sort of backstabbing and, and, and back and forth. It's absolutely fantastic. I love, by the way, New Chicago looks amazing. Ah, yes. These are some fantastic paintings. Again, uh, Ralph McQuarrie, uh, some of those buildings actually exist. They're uh, leftover uh, pavilions yeah, from the... A- uh, uh, from the expo, I was going to say, ex- yeah. wow, that's <laughs> fantastic. Good, yeah. So, was this a was this like a photo of Chicago, or where was the expo? I'm not sure where the expo was. Yeah, it okay. was the sixty. Uh, and actually, some of these shots were also used in uh, Battlestar Galactica again. In uh, oh, for the message from Earth episode, we're um, definitely going to climb back in the so far back machine okay. <laughs> and, and another greatest hiatus. But let's stick with this one. Actually, the Battlestar Galactica theme continues because uh, a, a Buck is taken to an interrogation uh, uh, chamber where he's interviewed by a kindly man who looks like Admiral Adama. He has the same he kind does of a bit, yes. affect, and he's in this space. And I immediately thought of the interior of the base star in the oh. new Battlestar Galactica. So even though that was a darker environment, yeah. look at it. It has this red line, mm-hmm. a horizontal band yes. of red lights glowing around the room. Mm-hmm. In this case, against a white background and in uh, BSG against the, the black new one. BSG. Yeah. yeah. So apparently they are doing all sorts of tests on him in the meantime because the doctor reassures him that it's all painless. It's all electronic. No, yeah. And he gets introduced to his assistant, which is assigned to him for the duration that he will be here on Earth. He gets a little robot drone called Tweaky, yep. who is a little person in, I think, a not very comfortable suit. Yes, it's uh, like the the little robot with the questionably shaped head. <laughs> PG-13 podcast, what does it remind you of? A mushroom. <laughs> That's it, yes. Played by Felix Silla. Ah, do we know him from anything? Uh, he also played Cousin It. A storied career. And he's one of the hang-gliding Ewoks in uh, Return of the Jedi. <gasps> oh, neat. Yes. <laughs> Not wicked, though. But uh, there is another person here as well, which is the circular, glowing-faced Dr. Theopolis. Yes, he's basically a computer. He's part of the Computer Council of uh, Earth. A quad, as he's called by yes. Commander Adama. Do we get his name? One, yeah, um, Dr. Elias Ewer. He's played by Tim O'Connor, who mm-hmm. we don't really know from anything else. He's done a little bit parts here and there. He's been on Star Trek Next Generation, Naked Gun Two and a Half, huh. Dallas, but generally only playing a single episode uh, roles. Weird, because yeah. I would have thought that he would be like a like a big get, like Lorne Green on Battlestar Galactica. You'd think so yes, he's got the face for it, but apparently yeah. not. Uh, he, he barely appears. He's supposed to be, like, the leader of man. No, he's just know? a top scientist. Because, like, man is being ruled by the robot council. Ah, uh, yes, computer yes. Council. To whom we're being introduced via... Dr. Theopolis. Uh, yes. Basically a clock-type robot. Not really a robot. He's just like a, a robot face. Yeah, worn as a giant pendant across the chest of uh, a little robot drone, Tweaky. Yeah. Who is described as a quad... 
quads are computers that program each other slash themselves. Yes. Removing all human error from the equation. These uh, quads are not programmed by man. They've been programmed by one another over the generations. Apparently humans have shown that they can only fuck up the environment and the the, the computer council takes care of that. Apparently uh, Dr. Theopolis is in charge of environment because he's planning a lovely sunset. I'm introducing a pale hint of mauve into the sunset this evening. Not so deep as an amethyst, but the more subtle burn texture of cinnamon. I appreciate a robot who puts a little artistry. Pardon me, a, a machine intelligence. So Buck has a conversation with him after he's placed on the on the table, balancing very well for... How frustrating must it be for this AI not to have, like, arms and legs or... If you look at the shot from the back, you see this little pedestal foot on, on the bottom that right. keep, keeps him straight when he's, like, standing there like that. But, yeah, it must be very annoying to be carried around all day by a robot that only goes biddy and then occasionally yeah. in a, a word or two after it. So which of these two would be pilot? Oh, ooh, jeez. Pilot. I, because pilot is also in charge, but also flying around and otherwise largely mute mobile creature. I don't know. I is suppose, Tweaky Moya? I suppose Tweaky is Moya. <laughs> yes, that's about <laughs> the best we can do here. <laughs> Which would make Dr. Theopolis... Uh, I wonder he, what he kind can't, of... Pilot can't move anywhere on his own either. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm desperately looking for parallels here. We Actually, we've recently on Farscape done an episode where our hero returns to Earth and found that things were not as he expected. Much like Buck Rogers, he arrives on a new Chicago, which looks amazing to his eyes. Yes. There's some buildings in the background that I'm pretty sure aren't part of the, the matte painting. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, like, where was this filmed? Do you know? No idea. As far as I know, it was all done either in studio and with uh, matte paintings and uh, stuff like that. So I don't think there's any actual genuine buildings other than the ones that were used in the shots from the from the expo. But they're just filmed as framed shots. They're not like got people walking around in them. We do get an interior shot mm -hmm. after Colonel Darling has, has taken him outside. An interior which uh, which briefly appears, which sort of looks like a a brutalist hotel. It was a hotel, actually. It's all the little balconies and yes. where everybody is walking around. And these yes. circular seating areas. Correct. Actually yeah. so circular that I wonder if these circular buildings that are behind them when they're, when they're wandering around, whether that's the hotel. Could be. Yeah. They don't spend a lot of time there. Buck decides that he's had enough and he's going to go out. He wants to see the outside. Colonel Darling tries to stop him and he, big dog, says that she's going to have to shoot him. She does grab her weapon. And then she doesn't shoot him. No, yeah. she's she oh, just lets him wander because off because he's so lovely. Yes, he, he wanders into Judge Dread territory, it, and quite a bit far because the city is quite far in the distance at this point. When you see him walking around the desolate wasteland with uh, Tweaky and Doctor Theopolis, who apparently have gone with him voluntarily, I suppose. Yeah, against their better judgment. It's a bad situation because he suggests camping out here for the night. Oh, I always stay here for the night. Oh, I'm afraid we'd freeze to death. What little warmth you feel is emanated from the inner city. In a few hours, they cut power by two-thirds, and it will drop well below zero out here. What is called the inner city? Yes. Yeah. Chicago is now just the inner city. Right. Ugh. Which is the new nice part, not the old decrepit part. Which is where he's heading. And... They are fantastic paintings and set pieces of these broken-down building, this blasted hellscape. I wonder um, if anybody who knows Chicago would recognize that plaza that they wander into at first. I suppose they must do. Yes, because as night falls and the mutants come out, we yes. see a few people that are like the, the, the stone men from Game of Thrones. The night falls and the scene changes to basically Michael Jackson's video clip of Thriller. Essentially, yes. Just uh, not with as cool music. The mutants start banging on the fire hydrants and on the windowsills, and the doctor goes like, oh, we, we think we're being watched. And 
Buck goes like, oh, it must be your imagination. I'm like, are you not hearing the banging? Are they're you not hear- literally standing over you, banging on door frames <laughs> yes. like they're all slapping and back he's and forth. Completely dismissing it and wandering over until he spots the uh, a street sign which he recognizes. Yeah, state and something. And yeah. then he knows that this is... It's actually Chicago. And it's not all a dream. He somehow finds Runs off. a cemetery. Yep. This part was unclear to me, it is. like he's it, being it, it chased makes, by mutants. It makes no sense. Dr. Theopolis and Tweaky are constantly asking him what he's doing. Tweaky has some, some comments, which every time Buck asks, Theo says, you don't want to know. What do he say? You don't want to know. Which gets, it's funny the first two times, but after the third time, it starts getting a little bit old. This scene, uh, this scene was, was, was really kind of long. He, uh, it was. Uh, uh, in this cemetery, he somehow finds a gravestone for the Rogers family, which doesn't have a date on it. Which is explained by the professor that, uh, like... Only a few fortunate ones were buried at all. It happened so fast. Families were buried together. Dates became unimportant as all systems broke down. The whole families went into single graves, but they still put up a stone, and yep. he and managed to find just his that families. One. They're uh, attacked by the mutants who uh, want uh, Dr. Theopolis for uh, the golden parts in his uh, computer brain, and uh, they want to put Tweaky to use for purposes unspeakable. Yes. My gold circuits and parts bring a lot of money on the black market. As for Tweaky, well, I hate to tell you the use they'll put him to, but... Oh! I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the shape <laughs> of his head. <laughs> yes, quite a girth to it, and a nice grippable base too. Pronounced shape. Well, I mean, he does a decent showing. He he does several roundhouse kicks. Picks he's, up he's, a big branch that he knocks a few of the mutants uh, around with, who are armed with axes and other implements. It was it was not a great fight scene. It was right up no. there with Dargo versus the Aquarans in Ooh, uh, yes. Jeremiah that Prime. kind of level. Until yes, this land shark shows up. This uh, this tank starts shooting the uh, mutants indiscriminately, blasting. Out comes uh, Colonel Darling, Deering, pardon me. No, I this, I want to stop doing it on purpose. <laughs> she's got another eggshell helmet on, this time gold. Yep, and uh, she's got her troops with them all dressed in beautiful white spandex. Oh, it's glorious. Look at them glutes. Buck makes a few more quips about being fine out there, uh, a few more references that uh, nobody gets. Well, well, Colonel, what brings you out on a night like this? Captain, I came to find you at some personal risk. Very ballsy. Very what? Forget it. We have another parallel between... Yes, that's right. It was mentioned earlier when he was uh, when he was babbling some... Uh, I don't even know what he was saying. Hey, come on, you turkeys. Get off your ducks and give me some info. Practically a foreign language. He big dogs again. Once again, wanting to be uh, left alone. But this time, they do draw their weapon. And yeah, they and do... Deering just t- tells one of her men to shoot him. So unless you're prepared to shoot me... Captain, you got away once, but not this time, Lieutenant. <laughs> Yeah, there is some suspicion now oh, uh, going already. on between uh, uh, yeah, Deering and uh, what, what was the, the, uh, the scientist? Uh, Dr. Ewer. Ewer. And Dr. Theopolis is totally on Team Buck. Like, yes. This is a good man. He trusts him implicitly at this point. For some reason, maybe he's a good robo-psychologist or something, and he just knows these things. Yeah. Deering is much, much more suspicious, still thinks that he's a draconian spy. And Ewer seems to be more or less on the side of Dr. Theopolis. However, they have discovered the hidden transmitter on Buck's ship, which yes. immediately brands him as a spy and a traitor. A trial is held, presided over by the Computer Council. Yep. It's a really cool set where... All the humans are on one side of the glass, and it's just these rows and rows of wall clocks with glowing eyes, casting judgment, different shaped eyes, depending on the personality of the machine. 
Theo mounts a heroic defense, which comes down to, hey, come on, guys, he's cool. Distinguished colleagues, you have heard the evidence, and I challenge you to find this man guilty. My censors tell me that this man is good. Yes, I think so, and he's fine, and there's no way he could have done it, and even if he could have done it, and he wouldn't have wanted to do it. I mean, so. he opens with, he can't prove his story. Just trust him. Yes. <laughs> but, he has, he says, but he has the fullest confidence in it. <laughs> yes, I'm positive we have nothing to worry about, and the verdict is guilty. Unanimously. Wow. <laughs> By unanimous vote, the council finds for the state. Captain Rogers, the council finds you guilty. Your life is to be terminated... Said termination to be carried out immediately. They seem to have a very lenient definition of immediate, because yeah. immediate is not immediate, and it's not even later. He gets put in a, a, another white room with a chair where uh, a Deering comes in. Who has apparently mellowed up to him quite a lot. And offers him a, offers him a chance. Yes. Which... To- he brushes off initially. He's still big-dogging her, and yep. I don't get why he's being such a tool. Where does he get the confidence except, like, I don't just know. simmering sexism? I guess it's that it. It's like they're, they're, they're going for a bit of a James Bond feel. The big hero and all the women are fawning over him, and he's just like, I'm Buck, I'm the big guy. Now, t- to be fair, Deering is a bit of a, I mean, within the limited scope of the 1970s cable te- network television, I guess, a woman in a position of power, certainly. She's commander of Earth military forces she's uh, she's in charge when she leads the sortie to intercept the draconia her plan is that they're going to uh, visit them and they're going to have a look around and check out if they're armed or not and they are going to do this under the guise of it being a dangerous corridor because a lot of the pirate attacks happen there and they want to give them a proper escort yes uh, uh we flash back to the bridge of the draconia uh where princess ardala orders uh, uh send out our pirate crown and give them a little surprise. Let's prepare a very special welcome for them. Send out our pirate ships and arrange a little surprise for them. I was expecting an attack there, right. which does not immediately no. happen. Uh, first, they are welcomed aboard the Draconis, where they are met with a long, flowery speech from Kane introducing uh, the princess to them. The princess, who has this fantastic sort of bikini gown, and she has this collar piece that is like a, a, it's like a, a fuchsia. Spoiler. <laughs> yes. it's like it sticks out like a foot behind her or something like that. Uh, yes, it's this, it's this fuchsia sort of plateau around her neck that her hair rests on. It's so bizarre. <laughs> but yes, so she, she apologizes for not giving them a proper greeting. And I think that Deering counters that beautifully. Consider your time adequate greeting. Yeah, I thought that was such an elegant way to address that. It was a lovely gesture. I noticed that uh, Buck's been uh, uh, been helped into into one of these white uniforms as well. Yes. He's got the collar. His tits look great. Like he's he, wearing his sports bra under there. Oh, definitely. There was a look was, at the rack on that. There guy. was a lot of discussion about uh, getting uh, him uh, into that outfit, especially during <laughs> the rest of the season. And is there a way we can make him look slimmer? And he was frequently oh, referred no. to as the white the white sausage. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that is me. It was a little bit. He he cuts a fantastic dashing figure. He's wearing the same kind of armband yes, that I know. It's the, the rainbow band. Rain- yes. Yeah, they're all rainbow the warriors. Unified Earth or something Federation. While they're having this polite exchange of civilities, there's suddenly an attack <gasps> by the pirates. Gosh. Gasp! Surprise! Uh, Kane uh, immediately goes like, oh, you call this a safe escort? So this is how you bid us safe conduct. Fine escort. At least we will all perish together. 
Yeah, Everybody it's a fantastic ruse. scrambles to their ships. We see them launching out of the tubes, which is a very another effect very similar to they use in uh, Battlestar Galactica. The Star Vipers Galactica. being, except this has much more of a disco flair to it. There's all these cool lights and neon. And you might have noticed that the control sticks for the ships are also the same as for the uh, for the Vipers. Yes, I had the, noticed the that. Three, the same three-button... Uh, Two white ones, one red one, yeah. and uh, apparently like throttle is push forward on the joystick, which yes. is not a great <laughs> interface... <laughs> But yes. hey, that's it seems to work for them. The combat computers yes. don't work for them, however. They, for some reason, no. They're starting to lose the fight almost immediately. They're getting shot out of the air left and right until Buck decides that he's had enough and he's going on to manual, despite being told yep. not to do that. Countermanding Deering's orders. Bad. But he immediately starts bashing and shooting them and shooting five or six of the pirates within pew, pew, minutes. Pew, pew, pew. He just like completely blasts them out of the sky. And it's an interesting uh, thing that you notice in the special effects here, that when you see a close-up shot of the uh, cockpit while mm-hmm. he's firing, mm-hmm. you see something which looks like more or less regular gunfire with uh, yes. muzzle flashes. But when it's a long-range shot, then it's suddenly green lasers. Lasers. Which are shooting And at. sometimes blue lasers. I wasn't quite the sure whether it was... blue lasers are from the Draconians. They're from the Draconians, yeah. right, yeah. It was a really cool sort of dogfight here, almost a catfight, because that's how it felt. Yeah, I'm guessing that the uh, Draconians didn't quite expect it to go that way, didn't quite expect anyone to survive. Although I'm not quite sure what they were trying to do. If they were just like trying right. to kill them, they wanted to throw up a fight. Um, oh, it must have been to dispel suspicion. Uh, that could have been right. It would have been totally logical for them to assume that Earth would have assumed that Buck was their spy, so they want to allay yeah. that suspicion with this attack. And and thus, none the wiser, they now accompany the Draconis god. Draconia. Back to Earth, because they did not, in fact, find any evidence of weapons no, on there. they just fly ahead of it as the Draconia follows, and there's apparently going to be a big party. It's yes, like, time oh, for reception. This, I've been looking forward to... Ford's fi- favourite scene of the movie. Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Everyone gets such fantastic... Un- they're back in some kind of 1970s convention hotel. Everything's disco lit. They're in formal uniforms, knee-high boots, white leggings, fantastic jackets with, with gold trim. I absolutely adored it. Big red sash around, which all the military personnel wears. Yep. Uh, Princess uh, Adala arrives wearing even less than she did before. I know. She's like a a very small white bikini and some long flowing uh, strapless evening gowns. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) gownless evening straps. That's the one. Uh, She's got a gold wig, uh, a, a sort of a Mongolian helmet with the horns turned upside down, very horny. The reception starts, she reads her speech off her father's sword, which has like this... Oh, was that it? I, that's what I, I mean, that's what oh, I think it was. wow. Cain is carrying this sword and hands it over to her and she holds it up <laughs> and he's let her scroll over it. And I guess that must have been a speech or something. Maybe they didn't have auto-cues just... yet at this point and oh, just projected on a sword. <laughs> I wonder if Dargo's Qualter Blade is as multifunctional, but yeah, I was I just think it can. dazzled by this scene. It was so fantastic. There's all these people in a variety of gowns made out of candy paper. It's, it's fairy tale. Everybody's uh, wearing, cyber disco. having these little disco balls on their hands, which they're yes. moving through at some weird, intricate dance. Yes, you've got you've got ball dancing basically. Like I they've suppose. all got these little silver spheres that they that they sort of balance these really uptight moves. But the music was amazing. It, was like, it wasn't quite disco, but it was future no. Disco. It was it, it yeah. fucking slapped. It was yeah. so funky. Yeah, maybe they had uh, Brian Eno or Orp involved. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Daft Punk. Oh yes, yeah, probably more of the time. Yeah. 
Buck is putting the moves on Princess Ardala. Yes. First he asks for a, another aspirin. He really likes his aspirin. Uh, and uh, Twiki goes and fetches him some uh, relaxing pills. Yes, and some relaxatives. Yes, he just gets, gives him a whole jar. But he doesn't actually take one. No, uh, because you mustn't take more, more than, one. than one at all. And fetch me a rose. Which he immediately starts to present to the princess. And in doing so, apparently upstaging everybody else who is greeting her quite formally. Yeah, invites her to a dance, which Kane, as her majordomo, is initially disapproving of. Would you care to join me in the next dance? A princess does not... Does not mind if she does. Yes! Oh, it's so good! They go and do some uptight dancing. He actually cuts quite a rug with his little say, ball. He, he knows the moves. He knows how to handle the balls. Yes, he does. But he, it's not to his liking, so he gets the, the the music guy to start playing something else. Yeah, a little bit of rock. Bribes the DJ. Go with the move. Who immediately starts it's playing. It's so much worse. Oh. It's it's worse than what it was. It was so much cooler. Go back to the original one. And it, yeah, it goes much more disco. And he starts it, like doing the little shaking, getting down moves. He has no moves. He has not. It's, He's just a little bit of hip shaking. Princess seems to like it, and she moves along with him. Just a little bit of dancing, a little bit of wordplay. She tells him that she will be leaving on her uh, private shuttle by midnight. Yeah. Presumably because it turns into a pumpkin afterwards. But. <laughs> <laughs> So she makes her exit, and uh, Buck is cornered by uh, Colonel Deering, who has her hair down. Who immediately starts professing her interest in him. Yeah, I do not get it. Like, she admits to him that, oh, I was so cold to you before, but actually I recognise now. Why now? Yeah. Because she's seen him dancing with another chick, or... I guess it's like, yeah, James Bond-esque jealousy, all the women have to throw themselves at the she, main character. She doesn't even seem... First of all, she doesn't <clears throat> see the type. She also doesn't seem, like, particularly interested or bothered, but no. whatever. She tries to kiss him. He's looking on his watch, tells her that he's taken one too many relaxatives and needs to go. Yes immediately goes to the shuttle where he is in with the princess. Uh, yep. He makes it onto her ship, they have a little few drinks, and it turns out that Tweaky and Dr. Theopolis have stowed away on the shuttle as well. Yes. Security's this was... not very good with no, the Draconians, is it? Uh. No. Uh, yeah, apparently this is part of his cunning plan to get back aboard the Draconia and, uh, and unmask them by seducing the princess. They arrive on the Draconia, he is taken to her boudoir, her fantastic boudoir, we've got those cool blue yeah. uh, beams again. Where he immediately roofies her. Uh, yes, yes. Because <laughs> he, he throws three or four of those relaxant pills into her drink. Relaxatives, yes. Uh, relaxatives, yes. We're going to have to go with relaxatives. <laughs> and uh, knocks her out, starts to sneak out of the boudoir. Uh, yeah, the way is blocked by uh, an unaware tiger man. He tries to reach for his, his holster. Tiger man notices, gets shot with his own gun, uh, again in stun freeze mode, it seems. Fortunate for him. Yes. And Buck on the one hand, and Tweaky and Dr. Theo, on the other hand, have, are, are now off infiltrating the uh, the ship. Buck immediately knocks one of the guards out and gets into their uniform. Yes, he single-handed, like, open fist punches him against the helmet and knocks him out. They have open-faced helmets, so I guess it works. Yeah, we haven't talked about these helmets. These guards are dressed like cyber samurai. It's yes, really cool. It's, it's cross between samurai and Mongolian. Yes, with the with the sort of side of the helmet pulled right. back. So in the original book, and this is going back a little bit, lot. So, Wait, so, what? What? Okay, there's Buck, a book. Buck Rogers is originally from a book called Armageddon 2419. It was what? written by uh, Philip Francis Nolan in 1928. 
Wow. Uh, and in, in the book, in the iteration, he was a World War One pilot. And right, yeah. He was working as a mine inspector when he got trapped uh, by a cave-in and a mixture of radioactive gases preserved him for 500 years. You know, that's honestly a lot more plausible than the, like, yeah. thousand times more vast orbit. And when he goes walking out of the mine, he is he encounters a Wilma Deering, who is basically hunting around. The U.S. has been overrun by the Mongols who have <gasps> moved their way across the, oh, wow. uh, across the continent. It became a serialized comic in uh, newspapers after that. But so it, it was not in space at all. It no, not, it, it's not a space opera it, yet. It, at it this was time. only until episode five or something that they finally blasted off into uh, in a rocket ship. Oh, and the war rocket exploring. Ajax. But Buck Rogers was actually the first where they started doing the the space exploration adventuring type uh, Oh, wow. Things. Yes, it was the, for- the forerunner of that. And it immediately had several other syndicates trying to do their own thing. Like, uh, like Flash Gordon was a rip-off Flash Go- of Flash Buck Gordon Rogers. was a rip-off. John Carter of Mars was a rip-off of Whoa. Buck Rogers. And, uh, yeah, the, and that's the, how the, it the developed. Starman. It became a radio show. Then it became a uh, TV series. This is incredible. Which- so this is literally the forebear of, of John Crichton. Yes. Like as a science jock yes. out in the... Wow. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> this is the greatest hiatus ever. <laughs> Look, but I wish I'd known about this at the time because then when I was stuck for, oh no, we've got nothing to do. I could have like rented some VHS tapes with Buck Rogers and had a whale of a time, but I'm really glad to be sharing it with you now. Princess Ardala is woken up. Hey, notice that she's got gold bed coverings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you seen those before? Yeah, exactly. I wonder uh, if she licks them and they turn red because they've got litmus fibers. Ooh. <laughs> This happens because Kane is coming to check up on her and notices that Tiger Man is not standing in front of the door. Princess tells him to fuck off. Everything is fine. Until she, she discovers that Tiger Man is sleeping in her bed beside her, <laughs> where Buck apparently put him. <laughs> Without her noticing because she was so relaxed. She immediately tells him to take him away and be executed, but Kane countermands that and tells yeah. to hold him for questioning because he obviously wants to figure out what's going on. He's asserting a lot of authority here. Yes. And, like, Ardana's reign is weakening a little bit. She is a little bit of her shine, he confronts yes. her with the fact that you're endangering your father's mission and he has 29 other daughters to Nipping replace at her heels, you apparently you have no idea what it's like being the daughter of draco the conqueror 29 sisters nipping at your heels weasley little courtiers like kane vying for power her dad is a bit of a slut he's an emperor they tend to be <laughs> yeah, okay. yes. Mongol and very no. Yes, you're right. I, I haven't actually done a G23 and Me test because I don't trust certain aspects of their data safety. But no. there is a certain chance that I have the Khan gene. Quite likely you are. So Buck is meanwhile sl- sneaking about wearing the uh, uniform of the enemy. Well, it's not Gucci, but what the hell? And he is spotted by the Doctor Theopolis and Tweaky. Yes, who this... immediately think that he actually is a spy now. Yeah, because he's in the hangar working on their ships. But what he is doing, he is loading bombs into the exhaust pipes of the uh, <laughs> the, the, the bombers. So after the sort of pillow under the covers trick, now it's the banana in the tailpipe trick. It is. Like he's bringing ancient wisdom to a future war. But he's also like being st- stupidly sneaking about. He's like he's wearing a uniform. He's like yeah. not conspicuous, but he's sneaking around. Hunt- over conspicuously <laughs> tiptoeing around yes. like the pink panther <laughs> he gets confronted by theo and uh, tweaky by having again his gun stolen there's a lot of guns being pulled out of people's holsters uh, from yeah, behind from behind this, yeah. yeah there's like you sneak up to someone from behind and you just slide your hand into their holster and grab hold of their gun yes that's exactly what's going yeah. on I, I can see the expression on your face you're thinking far too much about this <laughs> <laughs> but he manages to convince them that he is actually on the go, uh, like 
once again, just by big dogging and, well, and almost say, bluffing. Like he's saying that like he's putting bombs in their exhaust. So there's he, he does have a point. And I suppose that Dr. Theo can uh, recognize that for what it is. And Dr. Theo says, okay, well, I'll believe you, but only if you help us contact the Earth. And Buck says, no. Yeah, I'm, You go do that. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so they sneak <laughs> Theo off to, is such a pushover. He is completely. Why is he in charge of the world? <laughs> well, he's in charge of sunsets. The sun is a is a constipated fusion bomb. I would not trust him with the... Okay, well... It's, <laughs> oh. Okay, so he contacts Earth on the radio, warns them about the imminent attack. Yeah, uh, the great plot that the pirates are actually draconians. And, and uh, that they are... Uh, immediately tells them to launch their fighters, which they do within seconds. Yeah. So, which is funny, because the draconians are launching their attack, and you've yep. got this countdown which starts at two minutes six minutes to attack and counting then it's 90 seconds three minutes to attack then it's 60 seconds 90 seconds to attack and counting then there's the discussion with earth then it's 50 seconds the earth fighters are already up in space 20 seconds to attack and counting while the draconian pilots are still walking around don't actually get to actually going to their cockpits until 20 right, yeah, before yeah. launch. While Deering, when she's on the radio with with Dr. Theo, she's still in her dress uniform. Yeah. So she has to get her hair did. Find her like, shell helmet. <laughs> yeah, slip into her spandex condom and launch with... Like, also, why does your planet not have a combat air patrol? True. It yeah. makes no sense. It's uh, they, they just have alert fighters, but okay, cool. But whatever. There's fair, a but lot of them. If you can launch them in 30 seconds and get them extra atmospherical in that same time, then who needs a What's combat the, air patrol? Yeah. <laughs> So they're flying out. She has been inspired by Buck. She commands all of her wing to disable their combat computers and take them on one-on-one. There's another space cat fight. It kicks ass. It's so cool. Yeah, they tell them not to use their combat computers and just to uh, shoot directly. They easily win because most of the bombers uh, explode as soon as they come out of the launch tube. (laughs) Yeah, they just detonate as soon as they exit. Uh, It's kind of a a small mercy that apparently they don't ignite their engines until after they've left the launch tube. No, Uh, although some of them do explode actually on the uh, launch pad. Yeah, Uh, it goes pretty bad. And they're tiny explosions. These are supposed to be bombs and they're just like wet firecrackers that that go off. They're small bombs anyway. They're about the size of a whiskey bottle, maybe a large whiskey bottle. Wow, I was going to say, like, that's a lot of whiskey. Yeah, to carry that in two hands. True, true. But it's about, yeah, about that diameter. Yeah, it's like uh, these hexagonal... Like they were longer. sort of glowing. Maybe it's some kind of active system, like, right. you know, a nuclear bomb. If you stuff a, tail, a nuke right. in a tailpipe... It'll go... It'll explode. You'll get a you'll get a poof, yeah. and you'll get some bad... It could be that. Well, ...fallout. Yeah, let's be generous and say that's what's happened. Oh, come on. I get to do the science <laughs> nitpicking this time, but okay, okay, okay. fine. Oh, fine. Uh, we have another... Oh, actually, it's not a James Bond scene. We have a, we have an Indiana Jones scene where uh, Buck, who is on the exploding hangar, is confronted by Tiger Man... Yeah. Sort of like the muscle man in Indiana Jones in front of the plane with the big rotors. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah, like yeah. Where they go hand to hand and... He gets thrown into the propeller, yes. And uh, well, sort of a variation on that in this case. He gets kicked around a bit. He gets uh, one of the bombs stuck under his belt and then He gets a nut shot, yeah. but, oh, but yes, kicks him in the mean it, bean machine. Yes. Stuffs a bomb up his tailpipe. Oof. And shoves him off and for an explosion off screen. Killing a lot more people than Crichton did. He's he's yeah. a lot more comfortable. So with that it. scene was cut after. So in the movie release, it was in there, and when they split that up for the to become a pilot first, for the pilot, they cut that scene because they so wanted they could the keep... character Tiger Man to come back. So Tiger later. Man's coming back. He is later. Oh, in the series. what a relief! They kept that character. So that was one of the scenes that was changed between the movie release and the first two-parter of this uh, TV series. Oh, yeah, I can see why. 
we get a last-minute introduction of the Emperor in a very unimpressive scene. Yes, he just shouts at Cain for a little bit, tells yeah. him that he's done awful, that he should have waited, and Cain feebly uh, countermands that he was acting on orders of the princess. Emperor it, is not impressed. The Emperor... Okay, so this is a hologram of the Emperor. So... He's sitting in a chair looking up yes. at, at Kane. He's this feeble little mustachioed man with, okay, pretty cool outfit, gotta say. Very nice hat. Fantastic. Yeah. All of these, how do you even describe it? It's sort of like plastic sheets Oops. in, a, in a, a cold storage space that have been... Sli- uh, yeah. We're just going to have to... Radiator fans sticking out of a fuzzy it. head. That's it. All, yeah. all this gold theme, uh, uh, gold outfit. Sort of reminded me, honestly, of... Um, Oh, Snoke from the later Star Wars films. Oh. Although, I mean, he also initially appears as a hologram, although much yes. larger. That's how you appear as a hologram. That's the way to go, especially if you are the, are the emperor. No. Yeah, you don't want people looking down at you when yeah. you're hologramming at them. So that's weird. But yeah, Wilma decides to land aboard the ship to rescue Tweaky and uh, Dr. Theo. Yeah, they have made short work of this ship. Like, they're blasting it apart and it's falling apart. Uh, and yeah, Commander Deering comes in to rescue our heroes who rush onto the craft. They all pile into the what is now apparently a two-seater. What do you mean, now? It was the Ranger 3 was the single-seater. Right, no, uh, well, actually, the, the fighters that they use for the Earth Defense Force, they are famous for being, like, a, a plot-dimensionally uh, uh, <laughs> uh, stretchable. Like, they're, they are single-seaters, double-seaters, or even four-seaters, as required by the plot. I'm, <laughs> okay, no, I, I get you there. Mostly in the series, actually, but uh, you get a little bit of that here as well. <laughs> I'm looking at, I think that there's a back hatch. I think, looking at them, at them closely, uh, it's probably a navigator position. You don't really have a good view. No. Uh, it, it is operator for deep space flights, long patrols, and stuff like ooh, that. Ooh, look at ooh! Somebody knows his aeronautics. <laughs> but they manage to launch out just before the ship explodes. The princess and Khan immediately. Uh, Kane, not Khan. Wrong yeah, series. Kane rescues <laughs> uh, 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 Ardala uh-huh. to stand trial or whatever, bringing her back to her father. Uh, you've got Buck riding uh, uh, riding backseat with Wilma. He's got uh, Tweaky on his lap and Theo's on Tweaky's lap. It's yep. a fun little very, cyber very cozy little affair there in the back of the ship. Uh, One more disco launch tube. And they're out, the ship explodes, and... No, there's a little parting scene where like, they, they see the little craft with the emergency escape shuttle with the princess and a cane in it. Yeah, Tweaky notices it and Buck is not interested. Eyes forward. Yeah. Come on. Eyes forward. You'll get starsick. Buck, you're my kind of guy. They just fly back to Earth and, and end of the movie. It. Yep. That's it. They, they don't win. have a button. Nope. There's no, like, he doesn't have a little memo recorder to leave his closing thoughts. He just doesn't have thoughts, does he, Buck? No, Buck is I, just I, a man of I, action. I suspect he does not have any thoughts. You know? <laughs> so, yes, that's Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Wow, I'm so glad that we got to share this. Thank you so much. I know that you did the research on it this time to, to introduce it to It's and a fun thing to yeah, change roles in that regard. It's fun, right? It's fun to like geek at someone. Yeah, I thought this was a very appropriate movie to start with this because you can see how much of it is. Yeah, and I had no idea that this was the original, uh, like based on the original source right. material, yeah. the Buck Rogers property is... Yeah, it's a very long-running uh, franchise. That's incredible. I had such a good time with this. All the production design was absolutely glorious. A lot of the, like, characterization was 
questionable at best. 70s. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, we have the freedom of headcanon, considering that there were that all the people on Earth were wearing their uh, their Rainbow Warrior bracelets. True. I'm gonna assume true, that they true. were uh, intergalactic multi queers. Very omnisexual. The mutants were weird. Yeah, they, so I think that's actually a throwback to again the original story when it, ah when yeah there's like, I can see when that when there's like weird bands of roving yeah. mutants and other people uh, running around which have to be combated and fought alongside Commander Deering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are we gonna do willies and woodies for this? Okay. She gives me a woody. She gives you the willies. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a, we're still so far escaped, even though we're still we're, so far escaped. You first. Go on. What What gets your willy and what gets your willy? Okay. Oh, Kane gets the willy. Kelly. He's oh, he's so willy. he's so uh-huh. sleazy throughout. He's like Jafar, like oh, the the, the Grand bit, yeah. Vizier, oily. Although and, he's, and, he's much more dutiful, though. He's he is on orders of the yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah, emperor, yeah. and he's he does his thing. Yeah. He's he doesn't seem completely self serving, but yeah, is it going to be him? Yeah, I don't really have anything else to give the willy to. Yeah. My woody has to go to the ballroom scene, like everybody mm. holding their silver balls and these doing fantastic the dances they the were music doing. Too, yeah. the, the music was great. It was awesome. Okay, so my willy think will have to go towards the casual sexism uh, that we see in a lot of the movie. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't even call it casual. I think it's <laughs> professional sexism. <laughs> and, and, and my woody goes 100% to the theme song. <laughs> I love that song. Yes. I obsessed over that song for some reason when I was a kid and I watched really? the series. We had a VCR back in those days. Oh, well I, done. I taped some of the shows and I then re-recorded it. So the way I remember it, it has that little bit, that VCR twang to it, which it, which the original <laughs> now doesn't have. But still, I, yeah, the song is definitely my... Yeah, my, that, my was, uh, that was Suspension by Kip Lennon. Yep. Do we know Kip Lennon from anything? Not that I've ever heard anything else from him. No, not that I'm aware of, at least. It had He had such a lovely light voice, remember? Reminded yes. me of uh, Paul McCartney doing the theme song for uh, Never Ending Story. That, was that, no, that wasn't Paul McCartney. Never Ending Story? Yeah. Wasn't it? No, that was uh, What's Face. Was... Oh, no, you're right. That was uh, the androgynous... Yes. Yeah. And, uh, like, with the mononym... Never Ending Story. Uh, story. It's like a Vash or something. Yeah, it was Limal. Le, oh, oh Lim, Limal. Limal. Yes, that's yes, right. That's, the yeah, fantastic, super androgynous, big-haired, yes. oh, sublime. I got that feel here as well. So when I heard that sound, song... Yeah, it sounded very similar in, in the light-headed, airy uh, tune to it. Uh, yeah. When I heard that song with all of these voluptuous women lying around, I could see them singing it. I could mm-hmm. see the... Okay. You know, yeah. as as a, a band of rainbow warriors, like a band of lovers, or what's it called? <laughs> Army of so, lovers. That's the one. <laughs> Far beyond the world I've known. How does it go? Far beyond my time. What am I? Who am I? What will I be? Where am I going? And what will I see? see? Oh, I can't reach that high. What no. will I see? What am I? Who am I? Searching my mind for some truths to reveal. What thought, kind of fantasy, what memories, real? Oh wow! Like I'm reading it off my my teleprompter. You actually, <laughs> I told you I obsessed over this song for a while. And that's the story. So fuck skip. So far, no wait. We still have the. I have so many. The titling oh. of this episode. I have so many. Oh sorry. Yes. I'm, I'm going to whittle it down to what I think is going to be the winner. Like I have just endless. No, buck me sideways. Go buck yourself. <laughs> uh, uh, buck nice. off. But what I think we're going to settle on is bucked in the tailpipe. Bucked in the tailpipe. Yes, that's. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, and that's the story so far, Scape. 
We'll see you next week with episode number 119, Nerve. Yes! Where cosplay turns to improv behind enemy lines. While one crewmate thinks maybe today is a good day to die, another meets a bondage-geared purveyor of the comfiest chair since Casino Royale and a domestic demarcation enthusiast. Wow, I am looking forward to that. (laughs) Thank you to Greg and Bostitch for putting together this uh, uh, completely incomprehensible but 100% factually accurate synopsis. Thank you once again. Uh, you can find us at SoFarscape on Twitter and Facebook uh, SoFarscape wherever you get your podcast and SoFarscape.com on the web I'm Kaki I'm Kay SoFarscape so, so good, good.